Hey, good morning. I'm real blessed to be with you, and what a privilege, again, to come and, and share with you here in just a few minutes. Um, a couple of things. First of all, we really thank Jason, who came all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, to be the speaker at the retreat. But really, I commend Pastor Cameron, and uh, come on over here, Leo, Pastor Cameron, but also middle schoolers and high schoolers, because four of the people that you saw sharing on that video were guests that were invited by your students. And you just think about how some of our 12, 13, 14, and 15-year-olds are connecting their friends with the revelation of Jesus Christ by putting them in a place where they can hear the Word of God shared with them and spoken to them clearly, and they can be called to a relationship with Jesus. In fact, um, I don't know if Pastor Cameron shared with you uh, yet or not, but we're following up with four different individuals from the two uh, churches, church groups that came that made decisions to follow Christ as their Savior. And so, you know, what we do here is about saving lives. What we do here is about uh, taking people who are dead in their sins and giving them the revelation of Almighty God through the Word of God uh, so that they can see Jesus, uh, see Jesus crucified and resurrected and find out that they have uh, a way out of their deadness to sin and a way into life with God forever. And so that's just amazing that our students participate in that, and they're one heart at a time uh, people. And some of those students I recognize, those guests I recognize because they've started coming to our student ministry. So I commend the entire student ministry and parents for your partnership with your kids. Keep praying for them to reach out to their friends um, and to invite them to a place where they can learn more about Jesus Christ. Another thing is, is um, I don't know if they're here. I'm not going to point them out anyway, but um, we are praying for the Van Wart family. Christy lost her father in a tragic accident one week ago Saturday, and there is a funeral on the 12th um, in Hudsonville, I believe. Um, and, um, but I just want to pray for them just briefly. Father in heaven, we give you the entire Van Wart family. Just seeing Bryce up there on the screen just, just drew my heart again to pray for them, to ask for great grace, but also to pray. Uh, we pray that the message of the gospel and resurrection life would be shared even at the funeral. And those who don't have Jesus uh, Christ living in them would be confronted with their great need for a Savior. We also pray that you would continue to provide. Bless those who have already taken good care of this family for us um, this past week with food, with cards, with calls. Um, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And finally, I'm Pastor Clint, by the way. I forgot to say that. And um, I'm re it's a real privilege to be able to preach uh, to you this morning in just a few minutes. But um, I want to tell you that I am imminently replaceable. Um, and uh, the one thing that you can live without is Clint Eccles. You can definitely live without him. Uh, but you cannot live without the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're going to focus all of our attention uh, this morning here in a few moments. And so um, as we have been doing, uh, we invite someone to come up and read the Scripture. And um, I have sort of been hand-selecting those people the last couple of weeks um, because God has surfaced um, through the Holy Spirit's prompting, has surfaced certain people that I've spoken with, and uh, God's made that connection. And, and, um, and I've, I, I, I know this young man is supposed to be here in front of you here this morning. Now, he's not really doing a dangerous thing, but it's still scary, right? Yeah, kind of, okay? And look at, he's honoring me by wearing, wearing that, that black bow tie. It looks better on him, doesn't it? Uh, it sure does. And, uh, but it's a scary thing to share. 
And so, look, I, I want you to know that I'm with you and Jesus is with you while you share these things, Jacob. But um, also, I hope that you're so encouraged by what he has to share with you that you would be uh, working in, that God would be working in your heart to share your story of life transformation. People need to hear about how Jesus changes us. Right, Leo? Amen. Yes. Okay, so what's going to happen here is Jacob's just going to share a little bit from his life so that you can get to know him, congregation, and you can know how to pray for him. Then Leo is going to lead us in prayer heading into the sermon, and then Jacob is going to have us all stand and read the scripture aloud together. You ready to do this? Yeah. All right. Good morning. My name is Jacob. I'm blessed by knowing Pastor Clint, and I've known him for two years. We spent time together. I shared times of struggle with him. I was adopted, I was hurt, and I was wanting to get out, and I did not know Christ or believed in him. God listened, and I was taken out of there. I came to a new family, the Pustais. Um, I was saved, I, and I did nothing to get brought out of there, but wanted. And I struggled, and I had problems. I'm still struggling now, but it comes to it's your choice to change, and it's no one else's choices. And do not be ashamed of where you are and look and see and be happy. Um, keep, don't keep the shame in, of what you've done and repent and move on. That's coming to you from an 11-year-old telling you to repent. That's bold. Pastor Clint is going to talk some today about Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and then do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Free from what? My past and my heart, I can let it go. I don't have to live like a person of low worth. I am free to see the, myself the way God sees me. Do you know that the Bible sees us as? First John 3, 1. What great love has God lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. Amen. My past is kind of ugly and painful. My now is peaceful and when I trust Jesus. I want to say I want to thank God today for love and grace and I thank God for a new family. But I also want to say that often I struggle as a Christian and I sometimes worry and I am working on moving on from my past. I want others to know God um, can help us with our fears. Thank you for listening and please be praying for me. And I want you to pray specifically for Pastor Clint. I'm sad he can't be here forever, but I'm glad that we were friends and we will stay friends. God is good. He's a healer and a helper and he's healing my heart. So we've concluded that we both really need Jesus, don't we? We really need the Lord, don't we? Fantastic. Thank you for sharing. All right, hand that microphone to Brother Leo, okay? And if he slips into Espanol, all right, we will still escuchar. That means listen, okay? All right. Um, but uh, um, yes, uh, you'll see another man filled with the, with the Spirit here this morning um, praying for um, our encounter with God in His Holy Word. I'm going to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and pray. I'm going to give you a few seconds to uh, maybe a minute to pray. Today is important because we come here to listen to the word of God. How many of you sinned this morning? I, I sinned this morning. Oh man, we got a lot of good people here. God bless you. You, you don't sin, praise the Lord. Can you give me, give me a second? Just lay the sins to the Lord. 
today right where you are because God is going to do wonderful things today. I get emotional because I talk about the Lord and, and, and just feel my heart of joy to know that I can encourage other people and also I can be testimony for him. And I, I want, I'm just going to give you a few minutes, a few seconds or a minute to let, just bow your head and confess your sins. You know why? Because God is going to work today. We have to be dependent on the, Spirit to, uh, the Holy Spirit and, and be willing to surrender to him, to the Holy Spirit, to do the job in our hearts. You cannot do it much for yourself. You know the Holy Spirit is in your heart. And the more you allow him to work in your life, the more you grow in the Lord. I guarantee that. And he can testify uh, for me too. Okay, let's bow your heads and uh, pray. And I just close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we are not perfect. We need you. We need your presence in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, the Spirit that live in our hearts in this day, since the day we came to know Jesus Christ. Thank you for. We pray for those who do not know Jesus Christ and they are here today, that they make a decision for them you to follow you lord today we pray that you empower uh, pastor clinton and the preaching of the word and that we go out to the, from this place anointed with the holy spirit are mm -hmm. reassured that he lives in our hearts and walk with him for the rest of our lives lord help us to just get ready our sins i know it's hard I struggle with sins, but the more I allow the Holy Spirit in my life, the more I may be able to just uh, have the victory from my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for that beautiful promise and that you give us a helper, comforter, and the encourager. And we pray, Lord, that today be a day for a new beginning for many people and enrich our life through the word of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, our brother Jacob here, he's got Colossians chapter 1, uh, chapter uh, 3, excuse me, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 that he's going to read aloud. Would you please stand out of respect for God's word and hear the word of God? Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earth-lying things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when then you also shall appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your early nature, um, sexual and moral 
immorality and purity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry because of those the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in those ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also also rid yourself of all such things this rage, anger, rage, malice, and slander, and within language from your lips, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practice and have put on the new self, which is belonged, renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, fellas. Thank you. God bless you. All right, so uh, sometimes in life, you have to have only one thing in order to live. If you are stranded in the desert, that one thing you really need is water. Um, if uh, you are jumping out of an airplane, that one thing that you really need is a parachute. All right? If you are a cliff climber, uh, that one thing that you really need is a rope attached to you. If you're swimming underwater, what you really need is a scuba tank. Sometimes in life, there's only one thing that you need. And uh, I'm going to share with you some of my story. I'm kind of going to be the testimony this morning to you. And, and sharing my story, it's going to be a little bit raw. And you're going to hear things. You're going to hear about some of the things that I have done in my own unbelief and my own lack of faith. And, of course, I trust that we all fall under the banner of God's grace, but also his wonderful forgiveness, and that you can appreciate um, the struggle that I have gone through because I believe this is the struggle that the church is going through right now today. Last um, uh, Sunday, I told you that we definitely have an addiction to more, but we do not understand full. We don't understand the satisfaction of living only the life that Christ wants us to live together in him. And so I'm going to share with you ways in which God has confronted me and rebuked me even in my own walking in the confidence of my flesh, walking in self-love, walking in confidence in me rather than dependence upon God. I shared with you months ago that about two and a half years ago, I had a divine disturbance in my life. I became finally dissatisfied with the way that I was living. I became dissatisfied with my fruitless, fruitlessness, with my ineffectiveness, with my lack of fullness inside of me. I felt empty. I felt tired. I felt uh, worn out. And I kept on going to God and saying, God, why is this happening? I'm giving you all that I've got. And one of the first lessons I want you to learn, even as you, as you look at Colossians uh, 3 with me this morning and even Galatians 2.20, some other, some other passages, is this. <clears throat> good intentions, good intentions are not God's intentions unless we're living in dependence upon God. Did you hear that? Good intentions, no matter how much your heart wants to serve God, how much you want to do for God, if you are gutting that out in your flesh, you are robbing glory from God. You are stealing glory from God. And you are sowing something called flesh, which reaps uh, destruction and corruption, Galatians 6.8 says. But if you sow the Spirit, you reap eternal life. So good intentions are not God's intentions unless we are in complete dependence upon 
God. And so I'm going to share with you this morning how I rediscovered the secret of the Christian life after a period of rebuke and brokenness. And I'm going to share with you how revival came to my heart. And if you've walked with me some of these 10 years, I think you probably have actually noticed or seen a change that has occurred in me. And I give glory to God for that. I give glory to God for the way that God has, has confronted me with his word, but I've also been able to grasp with the spirit of revelation what God's word had to say to me to rebuke me, to correct me. And isn't that an amazing thing that we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and we say, oh, the word of God, it's, it's God-breathed. It's, 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 it's the God-breathed word. It's, it's, it's wonderful. But we don't really take in what it says there where it says it's good, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, and correction and training in godliness. We want to be encouraged by the Word of God, maybe just slightly challenged by the Word of God, but do we want to be rebuked by the Word of God? That's, that's a tougher, tougher sell to our lives. But that's what the Word of God does. It confronts us with who we are. It brings us back to the revelation of Jesus Christ and even seeing who He is so that we can then look honestly at who we are and come back to that cross with Jesus where we died with Him and die again so that we can live the life that God always wanted for us. And so while my story's a little bit raw this morning, I am prayerfully convinced that the church of Jesus Christ needs to hear again how God wants us to live the Christian life. He wants us to live dead. He wants us to live dead. Not like zombies, not like an zombie apocalypse. But we have to understand, just as Jacob read this morning, that we died with Christ, Colossians 3. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified in Christ. Does anybody know the next phrase? And I no longer live. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so what that is saying there is I don't live. This self, this body, all of its abilities, all of its effort, all of its energy, whatever it's got to offer, that's not what glorifies God. It's not what God wants living. He wants Christ living in us. And how does he want Christ living us? in us? By faith in the Son of God, holding a holy vision of Jesus leading me and guiding me under the lordship of Jesus Christ through the leadership of his Holy Spirit. So last week, we really emphasized that abundant life begins with a new life from God. And I just shared Galatians 2.20 with you, but 2 Corinthians 5.17 is another popular one for us where it says, uh, for anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. And so if it's a new creation, well, who was the creator? God was the creator. God was the one who literally recreated you and I to give us a new life. Here's another huge heresy in the church, and let's obliterate it today by recognizing the Word of God. Receive the revelation of the Word of God this morning. Jesus did not just come to die for you to go to heaven. He came to die so that you would die with him, so that you would now have a life with God that is pleasing to God, to justify you before God Almighty and to enable you so that you might be able to live a life that pleases your heavenly Father. That's why he says to the church at Corinth, and that's why he says to the church at Thessalonica, and that even to the church at Ephesus, seek 
to please God. If I didn't die with Christ, I would still be operating with something that cannot please God. I would be operating with a flesh that it can only borrow from sin. It can only, it can only operate from self-love. But I died with Christ, and therefore I can please him. And life is hard. We fill ourselves up with less than greatness because we actually think that we really can't get to this point of really having Christ live through us. And so for many people, the Christian life is hard. For many people, the Christian life is frustrating. For, for many people in the Christian life, we walk around with a spirit of quit because here's what we do. We say, wow, Jesus died for, for me. God really loved me. That's impressive. And that impresses my heart. And therefore, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And so I become born again. Okay, so I, I get a new birth from Jesus, and I and begin to start walking with him, and then I sin and I fail. And then so I go back to the grace of God that promises forgiveness to me, and I give those sins to God, and then I say, oh, I'm going to try harder next time, God. And so I fail and fall even further the next time. And then I say, oh, God, I'm so sorry for that. And then I try harder, and I fail, and I fall even farther the next time. And ultimately, I get caught in this vicious cycle of frustration and ineffectiveness and fruitlessness because I'm really not dead. I'm not really dead to myself. I'm trying to say, God, I want to glorify you with what I've got rather than what you have to offer. And so for many people, the Christian life is filled with anxiety. It can be filled with depression, disappointment. And, and eventually, if you, fall, you keep on this treadmill and you keep on working on this treadmill of try harder and fail faster, you're going to have an argument with God. You're going to say, God, I don't want this anymore. This is frustrating. You're going to grow in bitterness and resentment to God. God, why can't you let me have the life I always wanted? And here's the truth. God has already, already purposed from time immemorial, from the very beginning of time, the very life that he's wanted for you, the very life that he wants you to live. And it's life in Christ. In fact, the Old Testament kept on promising that there would be this life, this offer of life. Jeremiah 30, 33, 31 would say that no longer will a man say to his neighbor, know the Lord, for he will truly know the Lord. There will be an internal work that's coming with this Messiah that's going to come. He's going to come and die on a cross so that we could die with him and we could have this new life with him. And so what does it mean when we say that we are crucified in Christ? First of all, it means this, that we died to sin. We died to sin, all right? So that takes care of our judgment, all right? It takes care of our judgment, but it also takes care of our condition. It doesn't just save us from a future judgment. It saves us to a new life in Christ because we also died to our powerlessness to please God. You see, the flesh is not God's vehicle for righteousness. The exchanged life of Christ is and so if we simply say, Jesus came and died for me to be saved from my sins, we only get half of the picture. He also came and died with me, and I died with him so that he might give me a new life so that Christ might live through me. He didn't just die for me. He died so that he might live through me. And so we died to our powerlessness to God. And I can either live in the self-sufficiency of my flesh by, by choice, or I can permit Christ to live his life 
through me. See, what happened was that salvation, God took us spiritually out of Adam. We are no longer children of the devil or children of Adam anymore. We're no longer born into sin, but we've been reborn Nicodemus learned from Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 3. You must be born again. We've been reborn, and we've been placed into Christ's life. And so we participated literally in Christ's death because 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We are the becomers from that cross. So we participated in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, and his seating at the right hand of the Father. And that's where Colossians 3 is going this morning in the first three verses. It says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. What does it presume there? It presumes that there is a lowly status. That there is an earthly status. That there is another place where you could set your minds. You could set your hearts and your minds on yourself and go, I'm the man. I can please God all by myself. And so a lot of what's going on in the church is sin. It, It is sin that we know is wicked. It's sin that we know is wrong. It's sin that we are covering up and we're hiding from each other. We don't want anyone to know about what we're doing in our private lifestyles or what's going on in our homes and what's going on in our marriages, a lot of it is sin that we absolutely positively know the minute that we are tempted to it, the minute that we conceive of it, and the minute that we give in to it, we know it's sin. But then there's a whole other area where we sanctify in our flesh what we do when we call that righteousness. We say, oh, I'm, I'm serving the Lord, though. I mean, I, I go to Sunday school, and I'm, I'm in a small group. And uh, every fourth Sunday, I work in the nursery. Or you've seen me. I walk down the aisles, and I pass the offering plates. Or, hey, I'm praying for you. 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 We take all of those things, and we call that our godliness. We call our works our godliness. And really what we're doing is we're sanctifying our flesh. And here's the danger of this. And forgive me, church, for ever modeling this to you. Forgive me. The danger of this is people go, wow, that guy's really serving the Lord. Wow, that lady is really serving the Lord. And they want to follow after us. And really what they're doing is they're following after deadness. They're following after flesh. There are a whole lot of things that you can do for Jesus in your flesh, but they still don't glorify God because you're doing it in your own strength, in your own power, and not in the power of Christ. And that's why Paul said to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he said, I found that that power is made perfect in weakness. For when I am weak, then he is made strong. It's why Romans 6 is the long version of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that explains how we were baptized into Christ. We had to die with Christ. We had to be baptized into Christ. And we've got to live a new life with Christ in order to be able to please him. Because verse 3 of Colossians, 3, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is a spiritual life. Your life is a life that's happening on your insides because by faith, you received that life when you were crucified with Christ and no longer lived. So our old self, our old man, was our unregenerate human spirit. You've always been a spiritual being. You've always known eternity. 
By the way, eternal life, eternal life, living eternally, just, just in, in, as far as a, a, a chronology or a temporal status, eternal life has always been something that you've been meant for. The difference is, is that Jesus came to reveal to us eternal life. The entire summary of John's gospel is this, that Jesus came that we might know eternal life, what it's really like to live with God. And so that was our unregenerate spirit. And so we've got a choice. We can live in our own strength or we can give up our fleshly efforts and allow Christ to live his life through us. Because you see, there are two aspects to salvation. I'm saved from my sins, which deals with my judgment. What's the problem? I have sinned. Who has the problem with me? God. He is holy. What is the solution? God, in his mercy, provides his son, Jesus Christ, for me, and his son dies for me to remove that condemnation, to remove that judgment from me. Jesus pays that price for me, and what is the response? I receive salvation's offer. And many of you, and many of you listening on the podcast right now, you have received that offer from God. And you are secure in your salvation from the penalty of your sin. But are you believing also in your removal from the presence of sin in your life? Because you are saved not only from your sins, but you are saved from yourselves. You're saved from an old outer man, an outward flesh that deals with my life only. I'm saved with myself that deals with this life that I now have. What was my problem? Self-sufficiency. Believing as Pharisees did. Believing as all these people that Jesus called hypocrites. Believing as, as Jesus always called them, caused them to stumble over themselves and see the folly of their way. Their problem was self-sufficiency. If I just take up this old law and follow it, if I'm gooder than all the other good people, if I outpace you, if I become a secret legalist and just make sure that whatever row I'm sitting in, I'm more godly than the rest of those, then God will like me and he'll be pleased with me. And yet the Bible teaches this, that the law had a purpose. The law of God had a purpose. And that purpose was to show us our sin and show us the holiness of God. And if the law really has achieved its purpose in you and in me, here's what the law did. It convinced you and me that we cannot glorify God in ourselves. That's what it did. It convinced you and me that we cannot honor God in ourselves. We've got to have Jesus living inside of us. And so at that point of the revelation that comes to our hearts by the law that says God is holy and you are not, you've got a serious problem, Clint Eccles. You're going to die in your sin. There also comes by faith this hope that God has provided that solution, not just to remove me from judgment, but also to remove me from myself, to save me from myself and from my flesh so that I can live this new life in Christ. Both of these salvations occur by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It is by grace that we are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So much emphasis is on our being dead in our sins that we cannot glorify God without his working in us. If you take Ephesians just two verses longer, it says, for we are 
his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. The life that you've always wanted and the life that God's always wanted for you, God's always, always, always wanted it. And he's always provided for it. In fact, people are just assailing Jesus and challenging him left and right. And here's one of the things that Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke. He says, look, look, somebody comes to you and asks you for a loaf of bread. Do you give them a stone? Do you give them a stone? No, you don't. So even if you who are evil, Jesus said, you know how to give good, good gifts? How much more does my Father in heaven know how to give you good gifts? James 1.17, he's the Father of life the giver of all good gifts from heavens from heaven it does not change with shifting shadows god means good for you god means good for you god planned good for you and he planned a life for you and god's plan though is to completely kill the old sinful nature so that I truly am crucified in Christ and I am given a new nature. So we are dead to sin, but we're also dead to self, but then we are alive to God. We're alive to God. Second Corinthians, what is new? I'm alive to righteousness and I'm alive to please God, which is why Paul tells the church of Thessalonica in chapter four of 1 Thessalonians, now go toward, move towards your sanctification, set yourself apart as holy to God, which is what sanctify means, more and more in an aim to please God, all right? Now, to please God, it doesn't just mean me taking up, me saying, I'm going to add three good things. I'm going to walk somebody across the street today, and I'm going to shovel somebody's driveway, and I'm going to pray five more minutes. No, it, it starts with looking at anything that is ungodly, wicked in me, fleshly in me, and going and taking that to the cross and crucifying that. So whenever you see, seek what it means to please God or be an imitator of God, many times then the, the exhortation from Paul in his letters to the churches is, come and die. Come and crucify it. There's something in each one of us right now, and you know that God wants to crucify it. There's something in all of us. It's a fleshly tendency. It's a self-confidence, a confidence we've placed in ourselves. And I want to tell you something. Tell you something God also showed me is I can outflesh a lot of people. Did you hear that? Do you hear how self-deluded that sounds? I can outflesh a lot of people. I'm dead, but I'm better at being dead than you. All right? It all adds up to zero. Jesus said, John chapter 6, verse 63, the flesh counts for nothing. All right? All of my works, they count for nothing, but I'm still better at my nothing than I am at your nothing. How absurd to think that way, and yet we can become self-deluded that way instead of being alive to God. And then we get on that treadmill. We get on that treadmill when instead, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in, that, in all that is good and right and true, and discern what it is to please the Lord. But we get on that tre tread treadmill. We just believe the Christian life is trying hard than failing and asking God to forgive me. And then worse, telling God that I'll try even harder after that and that I fail and fall further. And eventually we're tired and we're frustrated and we don't like God putting us through all of this. Then comes the spirit of resentment and bitterness and the spirit of quit. 
We say, if this is how hard it is, I'm going to look for something that's easier. And I'm going to fill up my life and I'm going to fill up my mind with things that are of earth rather than that are set in heaven. Even though positionally I've been set there, even though my heart, my mind have been set there, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, I'm going to start looking to earthly things. And now I'm going to go after happiness my own way. I'm going to go after satisfaction my own way. And all of those things, they lead to death because the fifth verse says this, put to death everything that is earthly, everything that is low. In chapter 2, he said, hey, be careful. Don't fall trap to foolish and deceptive philosophy that's based upon the low principles of this world. Last week, I told you, the devil is offering you a life. The devil is. The world is offering you a life. That phone, every time you scroll through, all of that media is offering you a life. This whole world system is being conducted to rob the glory of God. And by the way, the devil doesn't have to send you to hell to defeat you. All he's got to do is keep you believing that you are a better God than God is. All he's got to do is convince you that you can flesh it out, that you can self-love it out. That's all he's got to do to keep you from glorifying God and having hell break apart at your feet. This is what Charles Stanley said in his book, The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. God is looking for imperfect men and women who have learned to walk moment by moment in dependence on the Holy Spirit. Christians who have come to terms with their inadequacies, fears, and failures. Believers that have become discontented with just surviving and have taken the time to investigate everything that God has to offer in this life. And I want to tell you, in October of 2016, when I finally invited the rebuke of God upon my life, I did not realize how desperate I was to become dependent upon the power of God. I was still up until that point saying, God, I did this for you, and I did this for you, and I did this for you, and I did this for you. Why aren't you blessing it? My self-righteousness became self-indignation toward God. Gene Edwards says it this way, the secret to the Christian life is Christ. The Christian life is, always has been, the exclusive territory of the living God. He alone lives the Christian life. Now that's great theology, but it's a very difficult pill to swallow because it says you got to start out dead. you got to die. you got to be crucified in Christ. So then how is abundant life now experienced? Abundant life is experienced and expressed through the Spirit. You've heard me say it. If you want to come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, all right, God really wants this emphasized. If you want to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, you've got to come under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. One time, one time, one time, Jesus got rebuked. One time by Peter. You know what Jesus said? Get behind me. I'm leading. I'm leading. You don't lead. You don't lead and tell me to bless it. You don't come up with your plan. I have the plan. I have the way. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. 
If anybody wants to come after me, what's he got to take up? His cross. And follow me. He's got to go through a brutal spiritual exercise of moving more and more toward complete dependence upon God by dying to his flesh and all that is earthly in order to vacate himself and to come to God by faith with empty hands and say, God, use me. And so it's expressed through and experienced through the Spirit. Now, here's the thing. Jesus said, we, we studied the book of Acts all the way to Acts chapter 7, and uh, Elder Mark Walters will be in uh, uh, the, the passage on Stephen next Sunday. Um, I'll be just away this one uh, Sunday uh, traveling and recruiting for a fellowship of Christian athletes, but um, he'll be in the pulpit this Sunday, and I'm praying for him, uh, for God to use him mightily. And he's going to emphasize again that Stephen was filled with what, Mark? The Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. Which, by the way, is not an option but a command of Scripture. Ephesians 5, 17. Don't get drunk with the wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And he's going to share that. And, and how terrible would it be if Jesus, if we really said that the theme of the book of Acts was Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, greater Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. How terrible would that be if Jesus said, okay, now I'm leaving. Knock it out. You know what Jesus actually said? I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And he also said this. He said this in John 14. It's better that I go. He says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it ne neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. When you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, guess who's coming? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming to rule and reign inside of you to give you abundant life. Watchman Nee says it this way. The question is not whether there is a spirit life within. The question is whether we will let the spirit life out to live through us. John 16 and verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, says Jesus, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It would have been the worst leadership ever for Jesus to say, Go, conquer the world. Go, make disciples of all nations. Go and be witnesses, even to your own deaths. You're on your own. Instead, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. In fact, it's a good thing that I'm going and ascending to my Father because I'm going to send the helper. And he's the one that's supposed to be large and in charge in your life. And that spirit life is supposed to be lived out through you. Charles Stanley says this, the first step toward abundant life in the spirit is learning to recognize the spirit. So let this revelation from God's word come to you. God gives you his spirit. You can live in the power of the spirit. The second step is recognizing my incapability in the flesh. The third is moving into total dependence with God, which leads then to surrender. Listen, God is not asking us to master the Christian life. He's asking us to be mastered. God is not asking us to master the Christian life. Get off the treadmill. 
that anxiety, that fear, that frustration, that depression, that woe is me, that self-pouting, all those things, all those failures that you're adding up and you're blaming God for, no. Die again. Get off of that treadmill and live now for God. There's a picture that we're going to put up here of the outward man and the inner man. And it's a diagram of the flesh, the soul, and the spirit. Um, there it is. And so what you see is you've got a body and you have a soul and you have a spirit. Now, um, this is for a class, not really for a sermon. But the body is the outward area. And the body is attached to emotions. Emotions do, as you see in that concentric circle, they attach the body. And so a lot of false Christianity is just emotionalism. We just come here to feel better about ourselves or we listen to Christian music to feel better ourselves or we have somebody encourage us or whatever and all we want is our emotions stirred when the truth of the matter is God wants to build himself into our souls and God is a very good builder if we permit uh, him to through dying to self and allowing the spirit to come and take charge of the soul because in the soul we have our mind that's why Colossians said set your mind on things above we have our heart our emotions all of our feelings that's why I said set your heart on things above and collectively they also form a will so we decide what we are going to do based upon what we set our hearts and our minds upon and what have you set your heart and your mind upon have you set it upon the glorious revelation of Jesus Christ that as a disciple, a true disciple, that you are called to, to crucifixion? You're called to graphic death and new life constantly. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it very well when he said it this way in The Cost of Discipleship. God's not trying to reform us. He's trying to kill us. And so those, that's the three parts, but the, that outward part is the outward man. And angels literally long to look into the mystery of godliness, First Peter says, Second Peter says. They long to look into the mystery of godliness. How do people who are so terrible, how do people that just sin, the angels just look down from heaven, or they're walking the earth and serving God, and they're seeing all these people ruin their lives. How do these people suddenly become godly? Even angels long to look into that. The mystery of godliness is a real mystery. And you know how you solve a mystery? with revelation. You discover something that you didn't see before. And I discovered something that I didn't see before. I was walking in the outer circle of the flesh, and I was informing my emotions by my successes and my failures on my outsides, rather than walking in the confidence by faith that Jesus can live fully through me by his Spirit. And so Watchman Lee says that outward man, he needs to be broken. He lives by a corrupt, corrupt flesh. And Romans 8.8 8 says this, that there's no way that you can please God in the flesh. There's no way. So look at this word picture here. You know what the flesh is? The flesh is a controller. It's self-protective. It's a lover of self. It's an idolater. It's a liar. It's a deceiver. It's proud. It's fruitless. It's a legalist. It's a liberalist. And it's hostile to God. It's hostile to God. So I want you to also understand something. When you allow all of these words from God to sink in, into your heart and your mind today, hear Romans 14 and verse 23. Whatever is not of faith is sin. If you are not walking by faith, guess what you're walking in? You're walking in unbelief. 
And that unbelief only resides in the flesh. And the flesh is hostile toward God. And so when we sow the flesh, we reap corruption, Galatians 6, 8 says. And so God confronted me with this and probably one of the biggest confrontations that occurred ever in my life was when I was at Johnny and Friends in 2017 and I went to Maranatha and um, I was already um, seeing some of my flesh get choked and confronted by God because I had invited that rebuke in my life. And I really went up there and strove to please God. I had good intentions, just like I said, but I made presumptions upon the people that they would understand my heart and they would know my heart even though they were strangers and they'd never known me before. I treated them as if they were my friends for 20 years at the Johnny and Friends that I serve in, in North Carolina. And so I did exactly what I've been doing with you for the past 30 minutes. Street bully preacher, come at you straight, come at you hard, but come true. And there wasn't a whole lot of grace in the way that I chose my words. And I misstated something, and I used the phrase wheelchair-bound rather than wheelchair user. And that's a big no-no in the disability community. It's not politically correct. Then I told a joke about disability, about how in my first year, how terrible I was at being sensitive to disability. And all they really heard was my insensitivity then to disability. I so offended some of the people there at Johnny and Friends by those statements that one family actually was going to pack up and leave the next day. You think, pastor? Yeah, that was me. I did that. And so the director came to me and he said, Clint, you know, we got this problem and, and you said these things. You remember saying these things? I said, yeah, but... I just thought the people would understand. I thought they would know, they would know my heart. I said, well, Clinton, you only have one chance to give a first impression. And I had been working to endear myself to all these people. If, man, you would have given me an A-plus for trying hard, but that A-plus goes right into the tra- trash can of the flesh counts for nothing. And so I got up on Wednesday morning, and I apologized to the entire congregation. I was simply almost this size, And I said, I was wrong. I have hurt you. These statements that I made were insensitive to you. I tried to offer uh, a sincere and a preferred apology. And so I actually studied the word of God and even quoted scripture about repentance to make sure that I was getting this correctly and that they knew that I was truly sorry for my sin. And here's what happened in the middle of that. A guy stood up, a father of a son with disability, pretty severe disability actually, a son that he can't really communicate with because his son is nonverbal. And he said, what is going on here? I went, oh no. <laughs> they already have my bags packed and they're going to lynch me out back. You know? um, he goes, what is going on here? And he walks right up to me. Come here, Ken. He walks right up to me and he stands right beside me. And he says, you sound incredibly sorry for your sin. Have you, have you dealt with God with this? And are you, have you apologized? Yes, you have, okay? Now, forgiven? Is he forgiven? Everyone here who lives under the name of Jesus Christ, under the gospel of Jesus Christ, is he forgiven or not? And then people began to nod their heads, and people started to say amen, and people started to wave their hands and say he's forgiven. And so he said, okay, good. He said, Clint, forgiven. Now get back in that pulpit and preach to us.
And that was the moment that I realized that all that I had done in my flesh, anything that I've ever done to my flesh, there was still grace. There was still grace. There was still redemption. And somebody also was able to exhibit that for me. Why isn't that happening in the church? Why aren't we gladly, why aren't we confronting each other in our sin and in the confidence of our own flesh and calling each other back to Jesus? I call you right now to Jesus. And I tell you that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But if you continue to walk in your flesh, you're going to be controller, you're going to be self-protective. But the inner man is built and it's behaved through the Spirit. Just as the young man this morning quoted verse 1 of Galatians chapter 5. When he said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, don't return to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm then. Don't go back to an old way that's dead to God. And so we're going to move on just a little bit, Chad. I I remind you, God builds us through brokenness. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That can be, is it up there? Yeah, that can be your prayer every day of your life. You can come, you can take up your cross, and you could pray this really great theology. You can give yourself, and it might be suffering, it might be painful. Let me tell you something. The first two years of this brokenness, it didn't feel great, but I want to tell you something. I am so excited about sharing this story with people and helping people out of their own self-love and their self-confidence because they're on a treadmill and it's killing them. We need the power of God's Spirit. But you can pray this. That God, bring me back to yourself through Christ and through his cross. Put to death my flesh and make me alive in the spirit. 1 Peter 3.18. You can pray this your whole life. So God brought me to dependence, which led to surrender. And that only happens by revelation. Something that I didn't know, a truth that I didn't understand because a lie I was believing. Until the truth obliterated that lie that I did not recognize that Jesus could come and die with me again and again and again, that I could be a new work of God and be recreated in Christ to truly please God. Now, you know my love of people of disability, and I'm about to put a video clip up here. And Chad, you can go ahead and get it, get it set up. But this is an astonishing video clip, and the reason why it really astounds and the reason why 10 million people have already watched this clip is because it is a lady, a young woman with Down syndrome, and she's at TPC Scottsdale, and it's, a, it's an exhibition, and she's with professional golfers, and uh, she's supposed to be partnered with this other professional, but she tees off, and she does so well that he says, look, you want to hit out of the trap? And she goes, yeah, I want to do that. He goes, well, you want to play? He just lets her do, play the whole hole entirely herself. She pars the 16th hole. A woman with Down syndrome, imagine how difficult it was to train and to work with her when her body couldn't coordinate to do those things. And the reason why we are fascinated by videos like this is because someone in their inability demonstrated extraordinary ability. Someone in their inability demonstrated extraordinary ability. Take a look at this one-minute clip. Right. See the flag right in the middle? Yes. You got this, kiddo. Yeah, I got right. this. 
Nice. Give me Jade a five. her team off. <laughs> Want to hit it out? Yeah. You do? Yes, I do. Let's do it. I got this. I love it. You can do this. You can do this. Sorry, Chad, right you can start over. Yes. There you go. You got this, kiddo. Yeah, I got it. Thank you, Chad. Nice. Give me a five. Ah. <laughs> Want to hit it out? Yeah. You do? Yes, I do. Let's do it. I got this. I love it. You can do this. You can do this. Nice. I got this. You got it? Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> yes! <laughs> that is so awesome. Yes! You are so awesome. Thank you. <laughs> that is so good. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? Oh, oh and God. wouldn't you want to live vicariously you so through her in those moments? Thank you. You would want that Amy, so awesome much in your own you. life. You're an inspiration to us, all right? Okay. And here's the amazing hero. thing. <laughs> you can kill the volume of Oh, you are amazing. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. Here's the amazing thing. You can have Jesus live through you every day. You can have the winner live through you every day. And you know who your audience will be? It'll be God, it'll be heaven, it'll be all the angels gathered around saying, look at this mystery of godliness. Look at this person that Jesus is living through. God can really build you through your brokenness. And what is God calling you to by faith this morning? Hey, receive the truth. Receive the truth and come and die. Do both parts of 1 Peter 3.18. Recognize that you can die with Christ, but all, and all the thing, deeds of the flesh can, be, can go back to earth. That's where they belong. And that you can live through the Spirit. Would you this morning receive the revelation of God? Pastor Jeremy, I think he's going to lead us in, in a song. And then I believe that uh, Elder Mark Walters is going to uh, close out our service. Right? Um, I just want to say... A couple of things as you're considering. Remember, it's nice that there's a farewell uh, for my family today, but we really ought to do business with God. So let's do that instead right now. All right? As you focus on this, would you receive the revelation that you cannot please God in the flesh, Romans 8 8? Would you receive the revelation of your desperation in that that would lead to dependence? upon God that would lead to holy surrender and you being crucified in Christ. Revival came to my heart. Anxiety and frustration and fatigue all departed when I finally died. And Jesus started working again in me. Oh, it's my prayer for you, church. It's my prayer for you. Pastor Clint, Heather, I'm going to ask you to come up here beside me, if you would, please. 
Okay, now I know this is a really, really hard thing for Pastor Clint, but we are going to do something biblical right now, okay? And one of my thank yous later on is that he was a man of the word. And here is the word. Second, or 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and in doctrine. And I read some of John MacArthur's commentary to understand what that meant, and he summed it up in a sentence. He said, excellence combined with diligence mark a man worthy of highest honor. We're going to do the biblical thing. And as best we can, we're going to give you double honor today. And so, Doug and Carrie, if you come up here, uh, Heather, for you, It's a pretty small token, but we give you honor. Pastor Clint, um, we have for you, yeah. Somebody else want to do this? <laughs> Pastor Clint, we have for you a, uh, a photo album here or scrapbook. Um, we're going to allow later everyone a chance to sign it, so you got to turn it back in. You don't get to keep it quite yet. Um, but this is our way this morning of giving double honor to you. We want you to know that we have appreciated your ministry here. Um, I want to say thank you for 10 years of ministry. You gave us a decade. That's a big chunk. I want to thank you for being a man of the word. All of our discussions with you always pointed back to the Word. It wasn't our opinions that counted. It wasn't our thoughts or ideas, although we shared those. It always came back to the Word. You are a man of the Word. You clearly stood on biblical principles. And that meant doing the hard thing a lot of times. And I would say to you folks, I remember sitting in elders' meetings time after time, and Pastor Clint said, I'll do this. I'll talk to them. I'll, I'll take care of that. And I thought to myself, man, I'm glad he's doing it. <laughs> he embraced the hard thing. And I want to tell you something. He taught me something in that. Because I am learning through your example to even embrace the hard thing and to do what God calls us to do. I want to thank you for being a faithful witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, let me go back 10 years ago, almost to the day, and one of the guys that I work with said to me, I met your pastor this week. He hadn't even preached yet. And I said, really? And he said, well, I didn't really meet him, but I saw him at Lowe's. Now remember, he hadn't even preached yet. And he was in the store telling the checkout person that he was the new pastor at First Baptist Church and was inviting them to come already, not just to get him into church, but to hear the gospel. And she didn't come either. <laughs> I didn't know that part of the story. <laughs> I think she right. knew Jesus, though. She went somewhere. And the point is your faithfulness. And we heard time and time again of how he stopped somewhere, whether it be the gas station or somewhere else, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I want to thank you for your example in godly living. You shared your heart with us again today. You have shared an example of godly living to us by being obedient to God even in your next call. Because it's easy to stay where we're comfortable. Are we comfortable here? It's easy to stay where you're comfortable or with what you're doing. It's harder to be obedient when God says, I have something completely different for you, and I want you to do this. And when a godly man says yes, that's an example to me. Now, I'd rather he stayed, but I want you to be obedient too, okay? I watched Pastor Clint give 110% in everything he did. I don't think I ever saw him start something half-heartedly. I'd also like to say thank you to the family. Um, Heather, thank you. I think the first time you came to Michigan, it was in a snowstorm. And I think you realized you were not coming to the Sunshine State. when you first came? Negative 13, the first trip they were here. So I thank you for supporting Clint in that. I want to say thank you to Avery, Wesley, and Caroline. They've been here for 10 years. They were shorter people when they came, folks. They grew up here and their lives changed here. That's right. That's right. And I want to say thank you to their family, to the kids, and also to Heather for all the times that you stood by, maybe at home alone, because he was here serving, and all the times you sacrificed your time with Clint or your time with Dad so that he could be a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Pastor Clinton, family, as best we can, we give you double honor today. Thank you for being our pastor. Thank you, Heather. I really, I really want you to have pie, so, so, um, and maybe I want you to have pie because that means I might get to have pie. Um, but I want you to know, um, our children. My, I have a great wife. My wife. We are doing as God called Abram to do. We're leaving Ur of the Chaldeans and being called into a land called Canaan. We, we are going to darkness in the daylight, to suburbia, suburbia in South Carolina, uh, to Berkeley County. And by the way, we're going to Charleston, not to Charlotte. I know that those letters line up a little bit. We are not going back to our former home. Um, we are going three hours away from there um, uh, toward coastal South Carolina, about 20 miles inland. But we are united. Um, and praise God, Zealand Public Schools told us on Friday that our daughter could graduate here. Yes. 
And wow. Amen. our son is following Christ in the graduate school, Wesley. And I talked yesterday all about the Reigning in Life conference that Heather and I attended just yesterday at the Life Center, which I really hope will come here and be shared here um, as well. And our son is following Christ with us, but our family is united. We're going to go and uh, earn less, um, um, start with just a handful of people that we know, again, just like we did here. And um, we're going to build a beachhead of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the platform of bringing Jesus to the marketplace um, and going one, to one of the highest platforms, the platform of sport. And I look forward to the men's ministry I get to do both with boys and men as I help coaches and student-athletes um, come into a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ in the church. Um, that all said, um, so... Um, uh, thank you for no weirdness. That was great. No weirdness for uh, four months. That was awesome. Um, but also, um, just want to tell you something. Um, Mark Walters is a great shepherd. Pastor Jeremy Cobb is a wonderful shepherd. Tom Vandenberg is a wonderful shepherd. Cameron Smith is a wonderful shepherd. Your elders, they're even going to share some things with you next Sunday, but your elders are leading your church. And this is a time for you to commit to Christ in his church. This is a time for you to hear the call of God toward the glory of Jesus Christ in this place. This isn't a time for you to go and try to find greener grass. Let me tell you something. There were 12 unschooled, ordinary men that helped set the world on fire because the Spirit of God came to them in the Acts 2 community. And everybody else just said, look... These people have been with Jesus. That's all we know is these people have been with Jesus. So what, what First Baptist Church really needs is, is God ruling and reigning, the lordship of Jesus Christ through the leadership of the Holy Spirit and using God's people right here um, to uh, create that beachhead of the person of Jesus in this community. So I want to encourage you. Now's the time to commit yourself to Christ and commit yourself to the church of Jesus Christ. Help your elders and support them. They are, making, they are praying with you, and they're making difficult decisions. We've built new teams that are helping shepherd our church. I'm excited about where small group communities are happening now in our church. I'm thrilled with what Pastor Cameron did with the student ministries retreat. I'm excited for the future of First Baptist Church, and I hope that you are as well. Imminently replaceable, um, but uh, put Holy Spirit in another body, and you guys have got, have got dynamite. All right. Um, Doug and Carrie, I'm going to ask you, uh, you folks can have a seat a minute. Doug and Carrie, we'll, would we'll you take care. the Eccles family yeah. down to okay, the uh, auditorium, Jim? And I just have a little bit of instruction here for you folks before we uh, dismiss.